I'd like to ask you a question. Maybe this is something that I suffer from, but I don't think it's the case. When you are going to sleep at night and you're just getting really, really relaxed, do you get that shock of electricity that goes through your body and all of a sudden you're lying there like that, that flinch, and you thought that you're the only one that happens to? Yeah? Did you think that? No? You knew that everybody had that? Yeah. Well, I didn't realize what it was until uh, about a year or two ago when I was reading about it. And apparently, what's happening in that moment when you get that little flinch is that your brain is testing out the nervous system circuitry. And it sends through a bolt of essentially electricity, for lack of better terminology, and it's testing all the circuitry and seeing if everything's intact. That's why if you've ever had a really, really hard day doing lots of physical work, your body interprets all the lactic acid and the buildup in the body to think that there might have been something that the body has suffered, all right? And so you find particularly when you go to bed at night or just really, really relaxing after a really physical day that you have these flinches where the body just gives you a checkup, okay? Isn't that fascinating? You can all go home now. You'll learn something. Well, what we're going to find when we look at James this morning is that the next set of scriptures that we look at in James are essentially James doing the same thing to you. Okay, what we're going to read this morning is quite challenging, and it's a little bit like a bolt going through you to give you a spiritual checkup to see whether the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually having an impact in your life. And so as we continue on in this Traveling Light series this morning, uh, we'll find that uh, we're being asked to test what it is that we do. And we, by God's grace, are measured by what we do. This is where the rubber meets the road. And James has the right to ask this question because he's, a, he's asking searching questions about this new life that's been born within us. Remember he talked about in chapter 1 and 2 there about a planting of God in our spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, this new life. And now that we're GM, God modified, we are a prototype of what it is that human beings should be. We're a new creation. And so James is now calling that to be examined. So let's have a look at this text and we'll build from there. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Is dead. So here's that jolt. Here's that jolt that's been given. When you read this, you should go, ooh, because here's a test. Here's like an electrical charge of conscience that's being applied to you for you to test and measure as to whether your faith actually hits the ground and actually produces traction in the world around you and your sphere of influence. Now, I just want to introduce you to this, this vehicle. This vehicle is called a Dagger GT. A Dagger GT. Ooh, I hear the kids at the front there, they like that. Dad, you gotta buy one. Well, the, the Dagger GT is 2,000 horsepower. It'll do 515 kilometers an hour or 305 miles per hour, okay? Now, I wanna tell you about another vehicle. This is the Reliant Robin. Okay, now don't laugh too much because Makata and I actually owned one of these once when we were in the UK. It's all part of the British experience. Uh, it'll do naught to 100 kilometers an hour 
if you're lucky. <laughs> Not at any sort of speed. It's got an 850cc motor, three wheels. You don't need a car license to drive it, just a motorbike license. And it's made of fiberglass and it's very vulnerable to rolling. Okay? Now, what I want to do is compare these two vehicles. If I was to ask you the question, what vehicle would you prefer to own? How many of you would like to own this vehicle? All right, we've got some overwhelming here. And by comparison, would how many of you like to own this vehicle? The humble, between, the humble amongst us. That's right. Or the British. <laughs> I saw you at the back there. Eh? Well, look, let me tell you about these vehicles. This one was started in the early 70s, this Reliant Robin. It was manufactured up until about nine or 10 years ago. Different models. Nothing improved it, to be perfectly honest, but different models. This vehicle here is a concept car. It hasn't been built, okay? So the engineers have got together and they've said, when we pull all these dynamics together, we expect this vehicle with a 2,000 horsepower engine to do 305 miles an hour or 515 kilometers an hour. Now, here is the difference. What would you like to have? Would you like to have a vehicle that is just a good concept that fills your mind with anticipation? Or would you rather have a little old Reliant Robin that might do 100 kilometers an hour if you're lucky, but at least it's going to get you there. What would you like? You got a question. Okay, Tash, what's your question? Well, it had three wheels because... Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you're right. It's got three wheels because in the UK, uh, if you had four wheels, you were then driving a car and you had to have a car license. So somebody invented, yeah, well, that's right. You can ride this on a motorbike license. And it's registered like a motorbike, which is really cheap. All right? I'll answer the rest of your questions after. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say here is that James is comparing our faith to our works. He's saying, look, it's all very well for you to have faith. But unless it produces something, then your faith is not worth it at all, worthwhile at all. And this is a real tension. Scholars have been arguing over what James has said here for literally hundreds of years. Because James is saying, if you're going to have a faith, your faith has to work. Okay? Your faith has to work. And what Paul has been saying through the book of Romans and the book of Galatians is very much along a different track, but it meets at this point in James. Because Paul says that we are saved by faith, by faith alone. Okay? what it is that you believe and what it is that you believe about Christ and his death and resurrection, forgiving your sins. And so from this point of faith, you are born again. And James is saying, look, this is good. This is a good thing. But there should be enough evidence in your life to suggest that this faith has changed you from the inside out. Otherwise, your faith is, is really just a concept car. It might have a great picture in your mind of what it could be and what it could achieve, but in reality, it's not going to get you from A to B because it only exists in your mind. Only exists in your mind. And, and so the reason why I'm comparing that concept car to a Reliant Robin is I think God would rather have us putting along the motorway in a little, with a little bit of faith in action than a whole lot of pure doctrine and pure theology that actually travels nowhere. Can you see my comparison? Yeah. So let me give you an example of what I mean by this. We've got lots of fine examples in the life of our, our church. 
Uh, you just saw some folks there who head up icons in our church. One of the ministries that's been really growing in the last few years is Good Neighbor. And uh, that was initiated by some folks in our church, uh, the Rollings, the, the Hills, uh, the McBrides, uh, others have been involved with it in the life of our church. And it's something that's really growing in the city. They move hundreds of tons of food every year. They give away hundreds of tons of firewood. They're doing all sorts of work with the poor, with the marginalized, with the likes of um, Women's Refuge, and they're really involved in the city. And they're doing a lot of this work for free. Well, all of it's for free, essentially. But the ability to be able to help people is what they have actually landed on as an outworking of their faith. And so there's, there's no problem with this group of men and women saying, hey, look, we can see where your faith actually outworks itself. They're doing it by bringing God's goodness and building God's kingdom literally for people by way of a demonstration of love in a practical way. Now, this ministry started really, really small. I know when Campbell Hill talks about it, he, he's got this story about how his house was robbed. It's a great little story. Sad about him getting his house robbed. But uh, he got appointed to um, look after a guy by way of the court system, a guy who needed some mentoring. And this guy just happened to live down the street. Campbell met him, and here this guy was wearing his shirt that he'd stolen out of his house just, just a few weeks previously. So, you know, a, a humble beginning, would we say. But we're told in Scripture not to despise the day of humble beginnings. You know, it might be only an hour a month or, or an hour a week that you can give to do something outside of yourself for the sake of others. And, and this is the thing that I want to celebrate this morning because God always begins by trusting us with a little to trust us then with a lot. And I, one of my favorite quotes about the, the, the place of beginning and starting is by Theodore Roosevelt. He says this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the, the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who is at best, who, who, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. What Roosevelt is saying is, let's celebrate those who are giving it a go, those who are willing to try to make a difference. And we know that uh, for Roosevelt, he himself as a president, was a real, um, real adventurer. And uh, he's the sort of guy who left no stone unturned. And uh, he was one of the longest serving presidents in the United States. James says this, that we are measured by what we do. And he says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay. So 
here's an argument going on between two imaginary people in as much as James is presenting what appears to be an argument in the early church about what faith and deeds looks like. You've got folks who are saying, look, I've got faith. Yes, we believe that, but can we see any evidence of that being outworked around you? So what does your faith look like? Well, it gives me a, a feeling of worth. It gives me forgiveness of my sins. It gives me confidence and reassurance about the future. But does it actually do anything for those around you? Well, is it therefore a genuine faith? Because a faith that just generates a feeling is not really a faith at all. James is saying faith has to generate action. And somebody else is saying, look, I'm not going to tell you what I believe. I just want you to observe my lifestyle and see if you can see what I, what I do. A true story about a man in an Amish community up in Pennsylvania in the United States, the Amish community, uh, Mennonites, sort of around that, that same sort of tradition. And these folks don't have any machinery that is run by an, in an automotive way, you know, so they only have horses and carts and all. You've probably seen pictures or movies about them or something. But there was a group of enthusiastic young teenagers who decided to go and evangelize this Amish community. And they were asking the simple question of somebody walking down the street. Uh, Sir, are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your savior? And one young man walked up to an elderly guy, an Amish guy, and asked him that question. He said, sir, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? And with that, the man pulled out a piece of paper and he started writing some names on it. And then he handed the piece of paper to the, the young man and he said, these are the names of the people whom I, I live with. Um, perhaps the best thing to do is to ask them whether they see enough evidence in my life to suggest that I'm saved. Which really, of course, turned the young man upside down because he was looking for a declaration of faith. This guy said, no, no, I'm going to give you a demonstration of faith, not a declaration. So, what we're seeing here is this argument about faith and deeds and finding that middle ground, that tension between what it is that we believe and what it is that outworks as a result of our belief. But there's a real challenge here, another one of these shots that goes through our nervous system in that last sentence that I've got on the, on the wall at the moment. It says, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, which again is a real challenge to somebody who thinks faith is just me and God in my own personal little way and therefore it doesn't have any impact upon anybody else because James is saying an intellectual faith is equal to a demon's faith. Okay, if you think it's just about believing the right thing, well, that, that sounds good, but your faith should find some outlet. Your faith should be outworked in some way, okay? We're saved by what we believe, but we are what we believe should be seen in the way that we respond to the world around us. You see, the challenge that we have is this, is that we, we judge ourselves by our intentions. You know? My heart is with you. My good intentions are for you. And James challenges this, the very first part of our, our passage this morning, when he says, look, people come to you who are hungry and, and, and not clothed, and you say to them, go be well fed. You're not actually doing anything for them. You're just throwing upon them your good intentions. 
But James says that's not good enough. And the simple truth is this, is that we judge ourselves by what we, uh, what we hope we can do. You know, when we get the phone call from the working bee, which says, sorry, I can't make it. I'll be with you in spirit. That's good. We'll just let your spirit wash the windows then, shall we? That'd be nice, okay? Now, we know what's being meant by this, and it's all kind, and a lot of people, you know, just literally can't be everywhere all the time. We know that, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge others by their actions. So therefore, that implies that other people will be judging us by our actions, not by our intentions. So it's our actions that actually count. And this is where James comes and asks for the rubber to hit the road again. He's saying, look, you can believe all this stuff, but it should have some outworking in the life and the lifestyle that you have. You know, what you do with your time, what you do with your words, what you do with your resources, all of these things add up. So, James now wants to keep on proving this point. And um, I know for us as a, as a church, there's always a tension between what we believe and what we do in the community. And what we do in the community is ideally a representation of what we believe. Back in the early days when I was here about 20-something years ago when he started here, we were still down at the Bethlehem Community Hall. And folks would, I would speak to, would ask me what I did for a living, and I, I said I work for an hour once a Sunday uh, and uh, preach at the Bethlehem Baptist Church, which meets in the hall. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've seen all the cars parked out there. Looks like a really busy place. And repeatedly I'd have this conversation where people would say, we see all the cars, there must be something going on there. And I thought to myself, we've got to do better than this. We've got to do better than just being known as a car park on a Sunday where we're just clogging up State Highway 2. And so the idea came to us that we should do a car wash on a Sunday morning in the, uh, in the, in the, um, the carport garage service bay there right beside the hall. There used to be petrol pumps, but um, they got rid of those, and there's just the forecourt there now. And so Scott Jones, who was an avid car washer, organized the roster, and there we were every Sunday morning washing cars for free, just blessing people. When they try to pay, we'd say, no, nah, it's on us. You know, Jesus loves us for free. We washed your car for free. And, you know, it just sort of messed with people's heads, really. You know, washed up car, but messed head, you know. So it was the way in which we could be more than a church that just clogged up the car park and was there on a Sunday at the hall. And it was a way in which we could prove to ourselves that we could do things a little bit differently and just try to embrace and engage with the community because we knew that other people were judging us by our actions. The only thing they could measure us by was how well we parked our cars. Now at least we were the church that washed cars, okay? So you can see what I mean? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know, our car wash program was a bit of a reliant robin when it comes to uh, outreach ministries. I haven't written a book about it. We haven't had people visiting from overseas to explore how well that was done, but we knew that that was a start. And we should never despise the day of small beginnings. Now, James goes on to talk about this using one of the most important characters from biblical history, and that is Abraham. James says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac 
on the altar. Now, I'm going to recapture this story a little bit for us because it's really important to put it in its context. Abraham being the father of faith for the, uh, for the Jewish people, for the Hebrew people, they saw in Abraham an example, a living example, not a perfect example, but a living example of what faith looks like. But faith in this case with Abraham starts with God pro- projecting upon Abraham blessing before he'd done anything. You see, when you read Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, which we will in a minute, you read about God blessing this man. Let's have a look at that. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now you're reading this and you say, this is awesome. This is awesome in the best sense of the word. This is outstanding. Here's Abraham being blessed. So I better track back into verses, uh, sorry, chapter 11, chapter 12, and find out what Abraham did to deserve such a blessing. And we go back and we start looking, and we find that he did nothing. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And God's favor came upon him, and he chose him from all the peoples in the earth and said, I am going to bless you. Why? Not because of what you've done or who you are, but because of who I am. I will bless you, and those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Pretty simple equation. So we read this story, and then we find a little bit further down in uh, in some further chapters, chapter 22, we're following... Abraham here. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, here's the tension, because Abraham and his wife Sarah were in their 90s, and they hadn't had any children. And an angel visited them, a visitor, as the scriptures describe it, and says, you're going to have a son. Well, Sarah just laughs, literally. She laughs. And sure enough, She conceives this child. She's in her 90s. And having laughed like she did at the idea of being pregnant and having a baby, they call their son Isaac, which means son of laughter. Isn't that cool? That's a great name. Son of laughter. Well, here is Abraham with his son. See how the scripture describes it up there in the third, third uh, third sentence? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, if you don't know who that is, his name's Isaac. Okay, so we're under no illusion here. Only son, Isaac. And I want you to take him away and sacrifice him. Now, I can remember reading this passage of Scripture when I was a young man, and uh, I thought, this is horrific. And then some years later, I had a teenage son. And I could understand Abraham's willingness to just with obedience, just take his son as an offering to God. It's like, this is the perfect way out. 
by joke. So here we have Abraham, and he's, he's going to sacrifice the son, who is the only heir to his seed, literally. The seed that is going to be a blessing to the whole world. So he's going, something's got to give here. Something's got to happen. But he goes in obedience. And, and artists have recorded for us these, this moment in time where Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, the story unfolds. And we're told, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What happens is God delivers a ram that was caught in the blackberries in the thicket. And uh, the, the ram is sacrificed instead. But it's a picture of what is to come, of course, when God would sacrifice his own son, Jesus, as, a, as an offering. But here we see this obedience. And we're told by James that the faith that Abraham had actually had an outworking. Okay? In the first instance, Abraham was blessed in the same way that we are blessed because we have received salvation through Jesus Christ by faith. In the same way, in the same way that Abraham received this blessing by faith. He hadn't done anything to deserve it. It was a free gift of God, and now it was going to outwork in his life in a way that others could see the results. Others could see the results. And for us as a church community, our goal is to be able to be the people who understand with a deep, deep sense of security the peace and the favor of God upon us because of Christ's sacrifice, dying for our sins, giving us a new relationship with God to be able to be established in his family. And as a result of that, we are then set apart for good works, set apart for the things that God has called us to do. Well, as a church, um, we know collectively and individually we will be measured by God by what we do not by what we think, not by how happy we feel about ourselves or each other. And over the last little while, over the last year or two, we've been working towards planting a church. And so today is the day when it starts. We've had a, about a two-year conception, and now delivery is happening as we speak. So that's very exciting, isn't it? So what we did this morning is that uh, before the first service uh, here, we actually had um, Colin, who's leading the church plant, give us a little bit of an update of what's happening at Golden Sands this morning. So I think we're going to tune in and capture the moment in time just start before the, their service starts. Cool. Kia ora, everyone. Everybody say hi. Hey! Hello! Hey, BBC, this is from everybody here at Golden Sands Baptist. It's a... Uh, Nine o'clock, about an hour before the service starts, and uh, we're getting everyone ready. The room's already caught. Why don't you just spin around? We got the stage. We've got the cross that Ray made for us just up there. It looks beautiful. And then we go around. We have a cool feature wall that's colors. Um, yeah, it's looking pretty good. We're really, really excited. But as we go today, we just wanted to say one more time 
Thank you so much for all of your support. Um, we wouldn't have been able to do this without you. Uh, don't let Craig come by here anytime soon so he doesn't know all the extra stuff we stole. Um, <laughs> but we're really, really grateful uh, for you supporting us and going with us on this journey. It's going to be a crazy morning for us. And uh, yeah, we pray that God will be with us as we both uh, celebrate and worship him in both of these places. So thank you and God bless you guys. Well, that's cool, isn't it? People say, what did you do this morning? We said, we went to the delivery room. We saw the baby being born, okay? Golden Sands Baptist Church. And uh, please just keep an eye on Colin. Frisk him, will you? Because I think he's pretty serious about stealing as much stuff as he can. And by the echo that I think they've got on those concrete walls, just keep an eye out for patches of carpet that disappear. So, yeah, you know how it is. But, um, no, we're excited about Golden Sands. And as a church, we've all been able to contribute to making this happen. And uh, whilst, you know, good things take time, time is your friend. And so we've been able to see ourselves come to grips with this, this new challenge of being part of a new church and being able to birth that church in golden Sands. And we know that's the very thing that God is looking for from us as an expression of our collective faith. So this morning, as we look at what James has said, we find that we live in that tension, and that's a great place to be. Faith and deeds, faith and deeds. And to ask the question every day of ourselves, what is my faith going to do today? What is my faith going to lead me into today? And just to reassure yourself that you're saved by grace, but because of this great love that we have for God and for what Christ has done, we can make our lives available to him. Why don't we stand and I'll lead us in prayer. As we close our service, we're just going to, we're going to finish here today without a final song, uh, but we've, we've been able to see and visualize that new church. So God, we thank you for all that's been happening in our church life over the last few months and years. We thank you for the things that are exciting in as much as they touch the community at those places where there is such a need. And we thank you for Colin and Haley and the team that are giving some leadership out at Golden Sands. And we want to pray your blessing upon them, uh, that they would be encouraged today and excited for the future as they see faith and deeds being outworked in that new community. So we pray for your blessing upon them, and we ask for your blessing and favor to be upon us. And may we just continue to walk, Lord, living in that tension of our faith that's being outworked in a real living world around us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.